Well, good morning and a very warm welcome to our online worship this Palm Sunday morning. Wherever you're located or whatever time of day it is as you view this service, we thank you for joining us and we pray you will be richly blessed and feel very much part of our church family as we worship God together and spend time in his presence. My name is Ken Carter, I'm a member of Brighton Road and I'll be leading our service today. Our pastor Tim will be bringing God's word to us and leading us in the celebration of communion later in the service. So you may want to have some bread and wine or an alternative drink ready to join us around the Lord's table. And as always, I'm delighted we'll have contributions to our worship from other members of our church family. Palm Sunday is perhaps one of the most bittersweet moments in the church's calendar. It's the day when we commemorate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, when the crowds accompanying him were singing psalms of praise, waving palm branches and appearing to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem as their king. Of course, we know, as he did himself, that this is not the happy ending we might hope for. Almost the moment that Jesus set foot in Jerusalem, the crowd turned and melted away, and only a week later, they were baying for his death. One of the things that strikes me about Palm Sunday is how Jesus conducts himself throughout the whole drama that was being played out. We know he knew his death was imminent because he told the disciples about it on more than one occasion. He must have seen the crowd's celebration and known how quickly they would change. And yet through all of that, Jesus persevered. He went about his business as he always did, quietly, authentically, generously, teaching the disciples, responding with love to people in need who reached out to him, and standing his ground against those in authority who sought to trip him up with difficult questions. And by doing so, he demonstrates to us how we might seek to live in hard times, such as the challenging period we're facing now. The answer, one step at a time. Not letting the anxieties and stresses that lie all around us knock us off course. Instead, being the people we are called by God to be, quietly, authentically, and generously. It may help us to remember that even Jesus became overwhelmed with grief in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his arrest. So we're not called to be unfeeling robots. But we see in Jesus through all of this, especially during his trial when the accusations about him became increasingly outrageous, a still calm centre. Someone who was entirely at peace in his relationship with his God and Father. Someone who listened more than he spoke. Someone who never stopped being truly who he was, who never deviated from his mission of salvation. And this is the Jesus of Palm Sunday. This is the Jesus who stands with us through all our hardships and difficulties, knowing our pain, bringing us comfort and loving us through it all. And this is the Jesus we worship and praise today as we sing our two opening songs. You are the King of glory and the splendour of the King, robed in majesty. Let all the earth rejoice. So let's worship God together.
May I lead you in prayer. Let's pray together. Loving God and Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son and paving the way for our lives to be set free through Jesus' death on the cross. Thank you for what this day stands for, the beginning of Holy Week, the start of the journey towards the power of the cross, the victory of the resurrection, and the truth that Jesus truly is our King of Kings. Indeed, we say today, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord God, we give you praise and honour for your ways are righteous and true. We bring you our worship this day for you are holy and just and your loving kindness is immeasurable and endless. We thank you that in Jesus you had a plan for our redemption and that through his death and resurrection, death itself is defeated. We are saved and we have the gift of eternal life with you. Thank you that you hear our prayers and know our hearts. Help us to stay strong and true to you. Help us not to follow after the voice of the crowds, but to press in close to hear your quiet voice and to seek after your will alone. We praise you and we bless you, Lord. Thank you that you reign supreme and that we are more than conquerors through the gift of Christ our Saviour. Amen. Later in the service, Tim will be continuing our series exploring the book of Philippians. But as this is Palm Sunday, let's take a few moments to reflect on the significance of this day as we prepare to enter Holy Week and as we look ahead to Easter, the horror and darkness of Good Friday and the unbounded joy of resurrection on Easter Sunday. Let's place ourselves on the roadside at the outset of this incredible journey with Jesus riding towards Jerusalem on a donkey as we listen to the story described in chapter 11 of Mark's Gospel, which is read by the actor David Suchet. Mark chapter 11 As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever written. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest heaven! Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. In a few moments, Alison Edwards will be bringing our scripture reading from Philippians chapter 2, and then Liu and Alison Liu will be leading our prayers of intercession. 
And in the passage in Philippians that we'll be considering later in the service, we find these words. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so we continue in our worship as we sing again a song that enables us to express our personal praise and adoration to the one who stepped down from heaven, who rode that journey on a donkey into Jerusalem, who suffered and died that we might live. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. So here I am to worship. Let's bring our praise and adoration to God together.
Our reading this morning is taken from St Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 24. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. In order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour for nothing, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. We are concerned by the violence and chaos brought on by the military coup on the 1st of February in Myanmar. 
there are no signs of it easing after over a month. The whole country is gradually being brought to a standstill as a result of demonstrations and strikes, and the food prices are going up. We have seen images of resilience, solidarity, creativity and courage in the midst of extreme anguish and harsh crackdown. There are scenes of suppression, arson and use of brute force, and a number of people have lost their lives or have been hurt. Many were arrested and communities continue to live in fear. We grieve for those who have lost their lives and loved ones. Lord, we pray for peace and justice across the country of Myanmar and pray for the provinces where martial law is being implemented. We pray for banks to operate fully, that the hearts of those instigating violence will be transformed. We pray for the poor and the marginalized who may not have access to food stock or supplies at this time. This month is the one-year anniversary of lockdown. We remember those who have lost their lives and those who lost their loved ones around the world. We are truly grateful for the NHS workers up and down the country who have so far administered the vaccine to half of the adults in the UK. Lord, we pray for the politicians and the leaders around the world to have good data and wisdom to make right decisions. We thank you for all those involved in producing the various types of vaccines around the world, and we pray for justice when it comes to distribution. We pray for individuals who might have anxious or have concerns about the vaccine. May you give them peace and guide them wisely. We pray for the NHS workers and the families who are supporting them to form this important task at this time. We pray for the people who are working on the logistics and transport, the vaccines throughout the country. We pray too for the Prime Minister and the government to have the wisdom in finding a balance between moving the economy forward while not increasing the risk of the virus spreading. We pray for the individuals who are facing the challenges financially. May you provide for them. Lastly, we would like to pray for the BRBC mission workers and connected projects around the world. We think of Callie in Brazil, Claire in Chad, Ray and Kitty, the Guerrero Translation Project in Chad, the work of Sat7 in the Middle East and North Africa, and Mary um, and her Bible translation work in Ethiopia. Lord, we pray for the protection of those individuals. May you keep them healthy physically, spiritually and mentally. Pray for peace and calm in the countries where they work. Lord, in, in your, your mercy, mercy hear, hear our, our prayer. prayer. Amen. Amen. I'd like to thank Alison and Liu and Alison for bringing our reading and our prayers today. And shortly, Tim will be bringing God's word to us and leading us in the celebration of communion. But first, we're going to sing again. In the opening verses of Isaiah 53, we find these words. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. 
He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. And so we sing the song, you laid aside your majesty, gave up everything for me, so I lift my voice to you in adoration. Palm Sunday, 
It's always a bit of a bittersweet occasion, isn't it? With all the crowds, we join in the celebration to welcome Jesus as our King. But all the time, his mind is on the cross. What he would have to go through less than a week later, when in the words of Philippians 2, he would empty himself, he would make himself nothing, he would humble himself to the most shameful of deaths, a death on a cross. And, and Paul holds Jesus up as an example to the Philippian Christians. Your attitude, he tells them, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Humble yourselves as he humbled himself. And just as Jesus assumed the form of a slave and, and lived a life of service, so you should not be looking out for your own interests. Instead, you should be putting the needs of others before your own. And Paul was a man who practiced what he preached. Later in Philippians 2, when he talks about his life being poured out like a drink offering upon the sacrifice of their faith, I wonder whether there's an echo there of Jesus emptying himself, of the lifeblood draining out of him on the cross. And using this kind of sacrificial imagery, Paul is saying he is ready and willing for his own life to be poured out on the sacrificial offering of the Philippians' faith in God. It's how much they mean to him. And Paul expected nothing less of his followers. He commends Timothy to the Philippians as someone who takes a genuine interest in their welfare. Now, Timothy had been with Paul when the apostle first visited Philippi, so the Christians there would have known Timothy personally. They would have seen him in action. They would have been glad to have news of him. They would have been able to remember how Timothy had indeed worked alongside Paul in the cause of the gospel, like a son working with his father. Now, whereas Paul found that lots of other people were preoccupied with their own interests, Timothy was different. He holds Timothy up as a living example of the kind of lifestyle he's commended to the Philippians at the beginning of this chapter. Do nothing, he tells them, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's Philippians 2, 3 to 4. And in 2, 20 to 21, he points to Timothy and says, that's how he lives. And because Timothy lives that way, that's why he takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Your needs really matter to him. Your needs are Timothy's overriding priority. And that's why when Paul was looking for someone who would go to Philippi for him, Timothy was the man. Timothy was the one he was going to send. Though I have to say that as I read these verses, it looks as though Paul would far rather have sent someone else. Much as he longs to hear how the Christians in Philippi are doing, he can't spare Timothy just now to go and find out for him. He'll send him in the very near future, just as soon as he can, just as soon as he knows how things are going to work out for him personally in prison. But right now, in prison, Paul needs Timothy at his side. He can't send him yet. And reading between the lines, I wonder whether I can detect a little bit of frustration on Paul's part that the only person he can really rely on is Timothy. He wishes he could clone him and have him in two places at once. He needs Timothy to take care of him while he's in prison and he needs another Timothy he can send to Philippi to find out what's going on there. 
And I wonder whether that degree of frustration lies behind Paul's disparaging comments in Philippians 2, 20-21, where he says he has no one else like Timothy. Everyone else just seems to put their own interests before those of Christ Jesus. It would be fair to say that this comment has caused quite a bit of angst among students of Philippians. Who is Paul talking about here? Who were these other people? And what on earth were they playing at being so selfish? But it rather looks to me as if when he was looking for someone who was prepared to go to Philippi, the only one who was willing to make the journey was Timothy. And that was the one person Paul couldn't spare. He couldn't find anyone else willing to go. And I think that lies behind Paul's rather dismissive comment that everyone else is just looking after their own interests rather than those of Christ Jesus. It's a pretty damning value judgment. But was that really the case? Was everyone else around Paul just plain selfish? I wonder whether they had other things on their plate, things that were perhaps more important and pressing than just setting Paul's mind at rest about how the Philippian Christians were doing. And I suspect that some of them at least were genuinely doing what they felt God was calling them to do. And the problem was that what God was calling them to do was not the same thing as what Paul wanted them to do. Hence his frustration with them. We need to remember that Paul was just a human being with feet of clay like the rest of us. He wasn't aware that this letter was Holy Scripture. He was just writing a personal letter to his friends in Philippi and sounding off, giving vent to his personal frustration. Just because it's the Apostle Paul saying that everyone else apart from Timothy was only concerned about their own interests, that doesn't automatically make it true. It's certainly how he felt at the time, and I suspect that his opinion was coloured by his experience. We need to remember that Paul was not some plaster of Paris saint. And despite all his talk about self-control, he was a man whose emotions sometimes got the better of him. And we shouldn't be surprised at this. When you read what Luke says about him from time to time in Acts, it's clear that Paul was not an easy man to work with, and Luke was one of his biggest fans. So when I read in Philippians 2, 20-21, all this stuff about other pe people being selfish, it makes me ponder. Despite all his upbeat talk throughout the letter, I wonder whether in some respects Paul wasn't in a good place. And perhaps we shouldn't be surprised if languishing in prison under a potential death sentence got him down from time to time. Particularly when he found he couldn't call on people to do the things he thought really needed doing. That makes me reflect. Because as a minister... I sometimes feel as if I've spent my entire life scrabbling around trying to find people to do all the things that really need doing in church. And as we look forward to services starting up again at Brighton Road sometime after Easter, that's going to be a pretty big challenge for us as a church. So, so please be assured that if in the coming weeks you say to me, Tim, I'm really sorry, I, I don't think I should take this on. I'm not going to go away muttering under my breath and writing a letter about you saying you're just too selfish to be bothered. You don't really care about Brighton Road. If I to do something like that, that would be a clear warning sign that I was under way too much stress. And the problem, the fault, would be mine, not yours. So if ever you catch me dealing with my own stress by projecting guilt onto other people, 
hope one of you will care enough to take me to one side and have a quiet, supportive conversation about it, recognising that your minister is only human like anybody else. But the truth of the matter is that we all have a role to play in the life and work and ministry of Brighton Road and in our community. And when it comes to considering how much we should take on, there are two extremes we should avoid. One extreme is the kind of selfishness that says, well, my own needs come first. I don't really want to get involved too much because that would take too much, too much time and effort. And at the other extreme, there is the misguided mindset that says, the more I do, the more I matter. And so I'm going to take on too much responsibility with the result that I end up feeling overwhelmed and just doing a lot of stuff badly. Between those two extremes is the attitude that results in the kind of prayer I'd like to invite you to pray with me now. Lord, you've given me the gifts I have to use in your service. Thank you for them. Please show me when and how and to what end and with whom I should be using them. And if I really am not sure what I should be doing, then Lord, give me a willing and humble heart to serve you and those around me. Place within me a deep love for your people at Brighton Road, a deep love for the people of Horsham, and show me the best way of demonstrating that in how I serve in practical ways. For I ask this in your name. Amen. In a moment, we're going to celebrate communion, and this is something we'd normally do together. It's a vital expression of our fellowship with each other. But today, we'll all be by ourselves, eating our own bit of bread and drinking our own glass of wine or something equivalent in our own home. Yet there's a mystery at work here. The cup of blessing which we bless, it's a sharing together in the blood of Christ. The bread which we break, it's a sharing together in the body of Christ. Through this meal, through the bread and wine we share, we are united to Christ. And even if we're physically separated from each other at the moment, through our union with Christ, we are also united with one another. So even though we are apart today, the fellowship we share through this meal is real. So I'm really looking forward to sharing communion with you in a few moments' time. But first we lift our eyes to Jesus as we sing the communion hymn, Behold the Lamb. Can I lead you in prayer? Father, we give you thanks for Jesus, the wounded healer, who by his words and deeds brings new life to all creation. We praise you for his obedience even to the cross, where he made death the gateway to life for us. We praise you that you raised him to new life and set him on high to pray for us and to bring all things into union with you. And you remember how at a table with his friends, he took bread and gave thanks. He broke it 
and shared it with them. Take, eat, he said, to remember me. And after supper he took the cup of wine, he gave thanks and shared it with them. Drink it, all of you, he said, to remember me. And so, Father, we take these gifts of bread and wine and we give you thanks. Thank you, Lord, for this bread and wine. How they speak of Jesus' body broken for me. Jesus' blood shed for me. The life of Jesus given for me. The love of Jesus given to me. The grace of Jesus for all my past failures. The grace of Jesus for all my future challenges. Thank you, Jesus, for redeeming my life. And Father, would you send the Holy Spirit upon this bread and this wine and upon me. Take the things and the people of earth and make of them signs of the peace Christ brings by his body and his blood. So that we, feeding on him alone and trusting in him alone, may be led from death to that life where strife and envy and falsehood and pride are ended in the holy communion of your eternal kingdom. And these things we ask in and with and through our Saviour, Jesus the Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, for ever and ever. Amen. The Apostle Paul tells us of the institution of the Lord's Supper. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So take this bread in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. In the same way, he took a cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in memory of me. So drink this cup. Remember that Christ's blood was shed for you. And be thankful.
God of grace. You've called us to be your disciple people. You've gathered us to your table. Here we've tasted the bread of heaven. We've partaken of the new wine of your kingdom. Empower us by your spirit that we may be a gospel people. Good news for all the world through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus Christ and the love of God 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. No story so divine 